Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, it's Jackie Worm Time Zabrowski. She's made of worms. Here to invite you to the Page 7 and Wizard and the Bruiser live show in January. We're going to be in Chicago. We're going to be in Pontiac. We're going to be in Milwaukee. So come out and visit us. You can go to lastpodcastnetwork.com slash p7live to get tickets. I think you might like it. Ten, nine, nine eight, <laughs> guys. Seven, everyone get your drinks. Six, everyone get ready to kiss. Five, Come on. Four, Just find a stranger. Who, what does it matter? Not two. two. Right time. Not the right time. What? Happy <laughs> New Year, Jackie and Natalie. Happy New Year, Holden and Natalie. Jackie, your kisses are very aggressive. Um, honestly, snake-like. New Year's Eve really just makes me think of how many times I've cried at midnight. Is that bad? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I do. That feeling, definitely that feeling when you don't have anyone to kiss and you're desperately looking for someone to kiss. That or the feeling when you're with someone that doesn't want to kiss you and then you find Yikes. them kissing someone else. When did that happen? Then it's like, oh, it's New Year's. It's New Year's. When you're on stage. Whoa. When you're on stage performing and you kiss someone else and then like, I was like, but that's the first kiss of the year. You can't just, I mean, you know, in New Year's, everyone kisses everybody and that's fine. But that's the first kiss of the year. Who and I got a punch. Else? Who I got a punch. You know. You oh, I know it is. Oh, I did know. that really right. happen? Who, yeah. Who was the girl? Who was the girl some floozy whoa what no let's would rip my fucking dick off if i tried that <laughs> right and i didn't because i was very drunk and we were on stage performing oh whatever that's bullshit yeah that's super bullshit for so you guys are <laughs> I hate New Year's. No, New Year's is nice. It's wiping clean. And now my life is much better than it used to be. And these are the things we have to remember during the New Year's because today we are talking about New Year's Rock and Eve and how it came to be. Let's talk about Dick Clark a little bit and let's talk about how we feel. Can we talk about how we feel first, about New Year's Rock and Eve? First question I have is Dick Clark alive? No. Nope. <laughs> Okay. No, 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 All right, no, good. no. Good Very to know. Dead. Good basis. He's and dead. That is, yeah. He is, he has passed. It's one of those funny things where you feel like this just always existed. So during this research this week was very fascinating to me because I didn't realize, like, he had to compete. Like, he didn't, this wasn't just a sealed deal for him. He was taking over from the old guard and that New Year's Eve was celebrated in a very different way before Dick Clark and his rock and New Year's Eve come along. Not only that, but you forget that there was a time when people had a disdain for rock and roll music, you know? And that he was part of the reason why rock and roll became became the standard. He, Acceptable. he made it okay. Wait, so you're saying rock and New Year's Eve was like a scandalous... It was good. It was like, it was cool. It was hip to watch it. It was hip to be a part of it. It was like a bunch of people essentially in the beginning in Times Square getting, I mean, obviously it's still getting hammered, but just a bunch of hippies smoking a bunch of weed yeah. and it, and we'll get into it. But like Three Dog Night is there. Like it's like, it was the yeah. hip music. It was the hip thing to do. Because now I see it as something that was always on Yes. When we were raised, it was Just, every New Year's Eve. We watched Dick Clark, and we went outside, and we would. My father would force us to bang pots and pans. So, did, so would after my family. Midnight. Really, yeah. you did that too. Mm -hmm. I think that might 
be a national tradition. <laughs> Bang, families making pots. Is it? I yeah, didn't realize that that was a thing. Do that. Yeah. So also to clarify a little bit, Natalie, I think it's more that um, the rock, by the time Rock and Eve started happening, it was a little bit more acceptable. But it was actually American Bandstand that he hosted that was finally putting rock and roll music on a stage that was because he was so palatable to adults and the youth. Adults and parents could see it in a way that made it not the devil's music. Interesting. If that makes sense. Yes. And, and I think that he, he essentially made rock more pop and more acceptable worldwide than it was up until that time. And we'll get into the history of that and how that really how that all led to New Year's Rock and Eve. But honestly, it's kind of crazy that it was the hip thing for generations because again now I see it as something that's usually on at a New Year's Eve party you usually yeah. I only pay attention until like you pay attention the minute before or what we usually do at all of our parties is you have it on the yeah. entire time and you look up and go why the fuck is John Mayer playing? And right. then you keep yeah. having your right. drunken conversation. Yes. Or who the fuck is that? I feel old, old. now. Old. I'm so old. I have no idea who these people are. And that is also <laughs> until I started really digging in with page seven. That happened almost every single year. I yes. had no idea who was on. And now that I think about it, now that especially after doing all this research, it does, as opposed to, I was thinking about it as opposed to the Macy's Day Parade, where it is... People, it is, you know, TLC without left eye that is lip singing, no scrubs, which like, why? We don't know why. You know, like that, that way that where, happened? Yeah, this year. Wow. Wait, this year? This year. See, this is what I'm saying. No one wants to do the Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> Unless you are in a big band or you're like in the cheerleading groups, like all that stuff is cool. Or you're in Broadway, that's great. But New Year's Eve, it is still a cool thing to be a part of either New Year's Rock and Eve or one of the now affiliated new year's eve parties that go on around the world that are also broadcast and it's not just cool it's like incredibly useful for musicians from a marketing standpoint mm -hmm. because you're going to be put into homes that normally wouldn't view you because it is just such a national standard and that's why it's like we talk about the gush doing the gush at the beginning of an episode well this is one of those where it's like it's hard to like i can't even really think to gush about this because it's literally just the background of my life every new year's eve it's like this gold standard that's not something i'm like ooh. Oh, I have so many memories. Thank of God, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve is yeah. on right now. And, and I remember when I was 12 years old watching the Dick Clark New Year's Eve. It, it's not like that. It's literally just that's what is on TV every single fucking New Year's. And that that is pretty unbelievable. That It is just this normal, completely just like, oh, it, this happens at this time every single year. And this is what we watch. I, it's kind of wild that it became that. And I think that's what the story that is the story we will tell today, how this became just such a background element. An institution. An institution. Now, Natalie, did you, were you also grew up watching it? I mean, the same way where I just associate it with New Year's Eve parties. Uh -huh. yes. yes. It's like, it's like, it's just a staple, like. It's weird to not think about it being there like Saturday Night Live or The Simpsons or something that like we grew up with our entire lives. It was just a thing that existed. And it would be, it almost would feel like a void if it wasn't there, even though I don't sit down and watch it ever. I mean, it's yeah, the same thing. Yeah, I would thing. be sad Yes, if it it's wasn't the same there. thing as A Christmas Story. <laughs> the 24-hour yeah. A Christmas Story that plays on TBS every year on mm -hmm. Christmas Eve. I couldn't give a fuck about A Christmas Story anymore. I have seen it. Actually, I too many times. Hundreds You're of gonna times. You gotta shoot your eye out <laughs> because we just have it on. The second it comes on on New Year's Eve or on Christmas Eve, we just it, it is just on, on the, the TV. background, and it does it does lend itself to like the feeling and like the it gives you a, a, a feeling of nostalgia and love and you know the the good parts of the holidays so you're not thinking about all the bad parts of the holidays exactly and i think that it also it really does define a generation which was our parents and our older siblings things like that mm -hmm. that always have the television on i think it's a kind of the, yeah. it is the generation that grew up without it and then the second they got it is the novelty and it's i feel it's the same way as we are with computers where in our specific generation where we didn't have computers when we were young young mm -hmm. and now that we had them when we were in middle school and high school we became obsessed with it because it was something that was novelty for our specific generation mm -hmm. and i feel like our parents always have to have something on our yeah. television in every every room of the house 
there's a television on Same. that is yeah. like the, tel- the the channel never changes. It is always on this, and and my because like, any channel you want, cops is playing somewhere. Yeah, and my father is watching it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I well, I'm with your father on that one. If I go to a hotel now, it's live PD. I believe they changed it. But every time I stay in a hotel, that's a different show. Yeah. The first thing I do is turn on the television and find the cops and watch the cops for uh, however many hours I'm allotted to watch the cops. But I will say this: Um, yes, if I go to a party and it's not on TV, I will like actually make a point for it. Yeah, I will put it on. Also, though, maybe it's not. Maybe it's the background of our lives, but that makes me want to share a couple of fun New Year's Eve uh, shenanigans stories. So here's my first one. Yeah, please. Um, there was the New Year's Eve in high school, I think it was sophomore and junior year, where I took it upon myself to drink an entire big flask of Smirnoff 100, Dude. like, before the party even started, <laughs> and spent, like, the entire night in. Because that was back when I just drank 100-proof vodka. Of course, so I would yeah, have a plastic a, bottle teenager, of vodka. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> that's whatever's the strongest thing you can find. Yeah, so that you yeah. can drink as much of it as possible and almost die. It was the most yep. efficient way to get hammered, even though it tasted like death, and it made you feel like that very quickly after finishing. So I remember <laughs> I spent that whole New Year's in um, in the bathroom, pretty much, with uh, hearing D- Dick Clark uh, in the background <laughs> while I vomited profusely. Welcome I- to adulthood. <laughs> and then, do you remember, so Murder Fist used to put on New Year's shows a lot of times, too. Murder and Fist was remember- our sketch comedy group, and we would almost yes. always, usually we would try and shoot, like, we're going to finish last sketch, we're going to jump off stage, and then we're going to count down to midnight, and it never worked like that. Do you remember the one where... <laughs> We were doing the countdown, and Garth, who had uh, did something similar with drinking, leading up to that. A friend of ours, yes. Fucking projectile vomed all over, like, the first three rows in, that were in front of him. And sitting and watching it and threw up everywhere. I didn't even know what happened. I just heard, like, ah! And then just, like, a, r- a line of people <laughs> to run to the bathroom. Of which there was only one. And it was a bunch well, of girls, too. I mean, it's pretty on brand for a murder fish show, though. You yes, guys would throw true. fake vomit on the audience. This is oh, just like an organic version oh, oh my of your God. props. So sad for so many people, including our friend Cap, who uh, his whole night was ruined. Yeah, whole just night go is home. ruined, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was right during the countdown, too. It was like, it was so perfectly timed. So anyways, those are my couple of memories. Do you guys have anything? I, I'm impressed that you have solid New Year's <laughs> Eve me- memories because I don't really... I'm trying to like go through the catalog of New Year's Eve's in my head and I'm just like... <laughs> That's the problem is most of them were either traumatizing or sad most or of them I are, don't remember them. Uh, most of them I just don't have any... I mean, I started getting hammered on New Year's Eve when I was about 15 and it's, ever, yeah. it's been that way ever since. Yay! But I can, uh, I can recall the grossest things I remember from murder fish shows. If oh, we want to go no, 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 no. <laughs> See, my, my problem is I was always scared. I was a very timid, quiet child and the fact that our father would force us to bang the pots and pans out on the lawn and you I really just, did this this was real actually yeah yes. we did too oh, I thought you were fucking around that's a great man okay so that's a legit why why <laughs> it's apparently was, I think I thought it was just a way for yeah. Too. yeah I thought it was just a way for our drunk father to just you know um torture us <laughs> no no my grandma started like my grandma did it my parents would make us do it yeah it's very upsetting. It's very now as an adult, I think it's very funny, and I yeah. get it. But as a very timid, You're a timid child. Oh yeah, it was really. Very, yeah, Henry always spoke for me. Oh wow, interesting. Huh. Hmm. Therapy. Wow. Um, interesting. <laughs> I was very well, quiet. I want to get away from that as fast as I possibly can. So let's jump into <laughs> why don't the you guys history. like my traumatic memories? <laughs> Let's get into the Times Square ball and its history, which I really love learning about. I love to learn about a ball. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. This ball, it big. (laughs) (laughs) I I kept saying that to myself as I did the, I was like, man, that's one big ball. And I kept laughing to myself. Indeed it is, Jackie. You know what we should have We should have pretended we were hosts of time of the Rocket New Year's Eve doing this episode. Oh, that's a big ball. Indeed it is, Natalie. <laughs> that's a big ball. <laughs> you couldn't be any more correct. <laughs> so the new Times Square ball was is located on the roof of one Times Square. It descends a specifically designed flagpole starting at 11.59 p.m. Yeah. E.T. Yeah. 
Eastern Standard on the dot, resting at the bottom of the pole at midnight. Times Square in New York City became the destination for New Year's Eve celebrators starting in 1904. But it was in 1907 that the ball made its first dirty drop. And what was that ball made of? Oh, fuck! It was made of iron and wood, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> It was covered in 125 watt bulbs, weighing 700 pounds. Jackie, say it. How big was that ball? I literally just described how big it was, so I don't understand. 700 pounds. <laughs> you gotta like, you gotta up, you gotta up the ante. We're gonna shock yes, now, jock this ball. Now, we have, now all three of us have heard everything. Hide, hide that ball. And also, I will say, before time, it was Times Square. Trinity Church was the place to ring in the new year. More, I think you're lying. What's, I'm not where's lying. Where's that? I, Trinity Church. So it's a, it's a big old, it's one of those big old cathedrals like a St. Patrick's. I just remember that the kids I used to nanny for, there is still a very fancy school that is aligned with Trinity Church. Is it in Manhattan? Yes. Hmm. And it's where a lot of like the celebrity kids go and things oh, like that that live in Manhattan. Burn it down. And so Trinity Church was the place to go before Times Square. Huh. Well, and then Times Square, it was, it started off, there wasn't the ball or anything like that. And the only reason why it ended up in Times Square was because of a man named Adolf Ox, yes. the owner of the New York Times newspaper. And it was first uh, organized for the launch of the newspaper. And there was no ball. There was just fireworks, which is stupid and boring. But no, it's not stupid. I love the fireworks. And they wanted to actually, they weren't going to do the ball. They didn't give a fuck about a ball. They said and they no said, ball. They said no Make ball. Make it a cube. They said they like the fireworks, but they, um, the city, in an attempt to, I, I don't know, to ban the revelry, to not allow them to have fun, the city banned fireworks in on Manhattan Island. Ah. So that they couldn't put the fireworks off anymore. I mean, they also say they wanted to stand out more. Uh, it was actually the newspaper's chief electrician, Walter F. Palmer, who suggested they use a time ball. And a time ball is actually an obsolete time signaling device used by navigators aboard ships offshore to verify the setting of their own clocks or at, for accurate timekeeping and was first used by the ancient Greeks. You wanted to do this episode. <laughs> I didn't want to do this. Ball facts, ball facts, ball fact. <laughs> it was used by the ancient Greeks originally, which I do think that part that is, is actually cool. kind of interesting. No, it is cool. This is cool. It's cool. I'm sorry so I snored through. <laughs> I'm sorry I snored through it. I actually read about time balls for a while because there are a lot of time balls that are still in use, and I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm like, I started out, I was like just getting high in college. I want to do comedy, right? So I start working with these guys. We start putting up funny sketches. All of a sudden, cut to 20 years later, I've learned about fucking time balls. The fuck is even going? What is this even? What is this? It's fun. Are you listening or are you having fun right now? This moment is the pinnacle of your life, Holden. So enjoy it. It's all going down. Enjoy it, Holden. The the ball was designed by by Artcraft Strauss. Uh, This is actually, again, this is, uh, um, I will use the phrase, this is actually interesting. Yes, it is. He was was pretty much the guy behind all of the signage in Times Square, which that phrase alone sounds boring, but if you think about it, like, he did the smoking camel sign where he had like the actual smoke billowing out of it no he did the, all the new inventive signs yeah. of what what makes Times square what makes new york so notable for makes its Times square so anxiety riddled and oh, so yeah. horrible to walk through but like, it's beautiful uh yeah depending yeah well and i mean he did i feel like it was a lot cooler back in the day because it was all mechanical and yes. it was all Wait, it wasn't just this, like, giant LED fucking uh, psychotic nightmare. No, it's like why the circus liquor in North Hollywood still looks so cool. It's like those old school designs of just like, man, that's still up. Isn't that awesome? And it's also where Cher was almost assaulted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Artcraft Strauss had a company called Strauss Signs. And he hired a Russian immigrant named Jacob Starr, who became the company's principal builder. And that is the guy who actually built the ball, which has gone through many design changes and features computerized LED lighting and an outer surface of triangular crystal panels today. That's what he called. So there's these little, these triangles and they're all crystally and stuff. You kind of know what, what, if you look at the ball, you can kind of see what we're talking about. 
And actually, yeah, there have been seven versions of the ball. We're not going to go into each kind because I was about, like, I started writing the notes of each of how it changed and how it evolved nah. over time. No, no, no. No, it, it's, but I will say, look up pictures because it is pretty cool because it is, it does show exactly how time has changed and how electricity has changed and how designing yeah. in, in general has changed, which I think is pretty fucking cool. And the event is attended by at least one million spectators annually, which is closed off to traffic beginning in the late afternoon the square is then divided into different sections referred to as pins which attendees are directed to as they arrive who have to pass through security checkpoints and this is the part i don't understand why anyone would ever fucking go do this uh but backpacks and alcohol are prohibited oh yeah yeah Times square on new year's eve does look like what would be my punishment for like a terrible crime. Yes, like they would it's just put nightmare. me in the middle. You can't pee, you can't leave, you can't move, you are compressed in with strangers. I can't imagine how many robberies and assaults like happen in the middle of that fucking clusterfuck of people. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why anyone would do it, but at the same time, it is always special and always kind of wonderful to see it as a staple of New Year's Eve, that just this massive crowd in Times Square. My mom told me a story. She went in the late 70s to ring in New Year's in Times Square, and she said, I was there, and you had to get there. You still, even back then, had to get there pretty early to get a spot, and she was puked on within an hour of being there, and <laughs> yep. then she wasn't allowed to go anywhere, so she just had to stand around in the cold, covered in puke. I was like, oh, God. At least they distribute party favors to that the folks. That is true. Wow. Yeah, usually nowadays it's like, I think last year it was sponsored by Planet Fitness. So yeah. everybody was just wearing like th- stuff that said Planet Fitness on the top of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. This year it is Powerball Lottery and they're doing a big promotion to find out who will be the first millionaire of 2020. That is fun. Will the ball be a big Powerball? That would be hilarious. Oh, that's kind of fun. <laughs> now, and actually, which I thought that this was pretty cool. There's only two years in the history of the ball that the ball was not dropped. And that was in 1942 and 1943 when the ceremony was suspended due to the wartime, quote, dim out of lights in New York City. Yes. Nevertheless, the crowd still gathered in Times Square in those years and greeted the new year with a minute of silence, followed by the ringing of chimes from sound trucks at the base of the tower. Wow, fun. I think yeah. it's cool. Isn't it's that wartime. Fun? It's wartime facts. Can you imagine trying to get the turds alive now to be quiet for a minute? No. Oh my God, no. impossible. No. The drop is activated by a special guest each year by pressing a button on a small model of the ball, which actually doesn't do anything. Somebody else in a different room activates it. Of course. It. Um, and at midnight, around 3,000 pounds of confetti is dropped in Times Square, which is directed by Treb Heining, who I would like to learn more about. Because um, uh, don't worry, I got some Treb facts. <laughs> Treb facts. <laughs> this guy is, just a brief overview, he is known for his balloon designs and confetti drops for Disney Parks. Natalie, as well, because you like a music park. You like a music park, and you love confetti. Other notable big events. That's such a cool job. He's like Mr. Balloon and Confetti. Um, You know what also Mr. Balloon and Confetti is in, in charge of? His confetti dispersal engineers, which is what he refers to, the people that help him throw the confetti for New Year's Eve by hand. See, that would be fun. That he I think I would want to do. I uh, do you have Treb facts on how you become a confettiist? It, there is a <laughs> it, there is a years long list, and he has a whole really? company. So it is like they do lotteries within the company of people that get chosen, and then outside of it, there's years. It's years and years long because um, he says using cannons would be risky because if there was a loss of power, there would be no confetti. <gasps> so it's better to do it in an old fashioned so way. He says, "I tell people this effect is world renowned, but you are the ones that make it happen." This is him talking to his confetti dispersal engineers. Your hands are what make it happen. Get ready. You're the ones who are going to make it spectacular but to does, see. Okay, but does Treb actually, what what makes I him, love him a confetti specialist? Does he chop up the paper and make the confetti? No, he is the, he's the, he's the, um, he's the, he's the maestro of the confetti. Yeah, he demands. He doesn't cut, do anything no. himself. He gets carried in a pillow. Does he choose the colors? Of the confetti. No, it's, I think it's all the same colors, but I will say it was his idea that, I didn't know this, in the confetti 
are thousands of wishes yes, that are wishes. collected from the Times Square Alliance. People write their wishes and resolutions on thousands of multicolored pieces of paper, and they put them up on the wishing wall, which is set up the entire month of December between 46th and 47th Streets. And you write down your hopes and dreams for the next year. You put it up on the wall, and they take all the things on the wall, and they include it in the confetti. Well, my hope for, the, for this next year is a better future for the nation's youth. And maybe some gun laws in there. Yeah, I guess. But also, like, I want a pony. (laughs) (laughs) What if what if the wishes are like they want all the juice to die? I mean, I think maybe they weed out those wishes. I mean, the confetti just bursts yeah, like juniors. You know, they're okay. top tier. I hope so. I hope somebody's in charge of that. By the way, it is so this is thrown by a team of 100 volunteers on the lining the rooftops of eight Times Square buildings. And cleanup is performed overnight by the New York City Department of Sanitation. They claim that they clear over 50 tons of refuse from Times Square in eight hours done by 190 workers. And it's literally shut down overnight. And by the time it reopens early in the morning, it is as if nothing ever happened. And what's the normal amount of disgusting? Yes. (laughs) And what Treb, uh, under my Treb facts as well, he's always surprised by the amount of people that take confetti home as a souvenir for their time in Times Square. That's not surprising to me. Yeah, so it does help. You know, it helps as part of the cleanup. Yeah. All right, that's enough about the fucking ball, okay? Let's talk about Dick fucking Clark, okay? Dick Clark! You know what? Delight. And I um, I figured he'd be an inspirational character of sorts. But man. Yeah. Just, he's a, he's a stand-up gentleman. Oh, yeah. Born and raised in Mount Vernon, New York in 1929, his older brother and only sibling was killed in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. I always laugh Jesus. at the freeze Battle of the Bulge, though. It is difficult. Have you ever referred to sex as Battle of the Bulge? My grandfather, who's passed away, on my mother's side, I believe, fought in the Battle of the Bulge, which is kind of fucking nuts. Yeah, but I, I mean, bet it yeah. was a funny battle. It was yeah, a I mean, silly battle. Yeah, that was the battle where Benny Hill first wrote the song inspired by the sights and sounds. Mr. Hitler, are you talking about dicks? That's what they kept saying. I'm sorry to make light of Battle of the Bulge. It was very, very terrible. We're all soft baby people. Can't go to war. Um, so initially, Dick Clark wanted a career in radio, and this is as early as 10 years old. He ends up going to, the, to Syracuse University, getting a degree in advertising with a minor in radio in 1951. You know, he said that he initially wanted to be in radio when he saw a radio broadcast done by Gary Moore and Jimmy Durant. D- Duranty, I Durante? think. Yes. In an old theater in New York. He said, this is what I want. I was 13. I got my first check in radio when I was 17, and I've been doing it ever since. Isn't that crazy that, like, when you're that young, like, this is what I want to do, and then you do it for the rest of your life? I do also, I think at that time, you were sort of forced into an adulthood very young. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't wasn't around to dilly-dally, I guess. No, no, no. In, uh, in 1945, Clark gets a mailroom job at an AM radio station in Rome, New York, that was owned by his uncle and managed by his father. So I think a lot of the influence came out of that situation. It's a family affair. Exactly. He also worked at a country music station in Syracuse, but returned to WRUN in Rome to host radio programs under the name Dick Clay. And I think maybe he was trying to separate himself from the family name a his little bit. parents, yeah. Uh, just because they were so tied into the network, he didn't want to be like a daddy's boy. Uh, His first television hosting job came by way of a country music program again at a station in Utica, New York, and the show was called Cactus Dick and the Santa Fe Riders. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's important. I'd like to say, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I would not want to see a woman's vagina get ripped to shreds by a cactus dick. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I just meant more like like cactusy in personality. Oh, you didn't want it to actually have spikes on the Spikes on the penis. No, I want him to be like scared to love me. Well, that led to a newscaster job, uh, Jackie and Natalie. Oh. And uh, in, the early <laughs> in the early 50s, he moved to a suburb of Philadelphia and got a job as a disc jockey at WFIL, which was associated with the television station WPVI. And this is how he ends up on American Bandstand. It was like this weird conversion. So the TV station broadcast a show starting in 1952 called Bob Horn's Bandstand. And Dick Clark was doing, like, the radio version of that show. But he was subbing in for Horn uh, on the TV show when Horn couldn't make it. Up until Horn was arrested for 
drunk driving in 1956. Yikes. After which Clark took over full time. And that uh, not too long after that, I bet Horn is kicking himself because only one year later, ABC picks up American Bandstand in 1957. It was the first network TV show to feature rock and roll. So it first, oh. right? Is that crazy? First aired nationally in 1957 and it ran until 1987. I didn't realize that it was on for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. And that now that you're also bringing that up, Holden, I didn't realize that it was just a continuation essentially of a show that already existed. So really, if you think about it, Dick Clark was the fulcrum it was, he was a part of the fulcrum to take America from radio broadcasting into television Isn't it creepy to yes. think about that started whenever, around when our parents were born, and then it ended when about when we were born? That's yeah. crazy! Ugh, Isn't like that it. wild? Isn't that fucking nuts? So it, we mentioned this earlier, but just to reiterate, it, it really was Clark's ability to connect with the youth while also coming off as non-threatening to the older audiences at home, which allowed us to like, and this is probably my favorite thing of the whole episode of, re, of research that we did, that he was really the one who bridged the gap. Because it really was a gap. I mean, you think about, you know, even when we did like our episode on Dungeons and Dragons, that was satanic uh, uh, or viewed as satanic by adults. Just anything new that's like they don't understand. Yeah, and that's we why got, we got, we fixed all that and everything's, it works now. No, <laughs> we aren't afraid of things anymore. No, Dick Clark is the perfect, like, uh, what is it called? A psych. You know, like in the back of a theater yes. that, yeah. that is a, it's a plain background that you use a bunch of lights to make it all be fancy. I feel like Dick Clark is that neutral background. Right. He was referred to as Good the, metaphor, Thank Jackie. you. Yeah, He was job. referred to as the world's oldest teenager, not only for <laughs> his youthful looks, but also with how he was able to connect with different generations just by being himself. But also, this was not easy per se. Clark said, I was roundly criticized for being in and around rock and roll music at its inception. It was the devil's music. It would make your teeth fall out and your hair turn blue, whatever the hell. You get through that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And also, not not forgetting, too, that American Bandstand was one of the first national television programs where blacks and whites performed on the same stage and the live audience seating was desegregated. Pre-Clark, the Bandstand show had an all-white policy. It was Dick Clark himself who forced that to go away, which right. is really cool. Well, Dick Clark bridging all of these gaps and bringing all these people together, wouldn't that be the devil's best trick of all? Interesting. So, ah, creating Dick community? Clark the devil. Oh, yeah. I don't want to disturb you, Jackie, but I've looked at some old footage of American bandstands, and you can see in the background a tall redhead dancing seductively to rock and roll music with big Natalie, black frame glasses. Natalie. Who looks a lot like Natalie. Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> if I just disappeared in a cloud of smoke. He's like, what? And we never saw her again. What would I have to say to Henry? He would, he would have me murdered because he would think that I killed you. Um, Natalie's an always person. Uh, she's always been here, and yes. we think she actually might straight up She's an Eterna beauty. You're an Eterna beauty that's eternally around. I think that would make Henry more horny for me if I. Yeah, actually, I think he would just be way more. And just like waiting by the door, like she'll come back someday. (laughs) She's an Eterna beauty. She'll be back someday. (laughs) Except you're never gonna be back because you're gonna move on. Highlander. What is it? No, Outlander. (laughs) (laughs) So the Dick Clark show debuted. By the way, oh yeah. uh, Okay, so in 1958. There is also the Dick Clark Show, which debuted on ABC, and it was an American musical variety show that was broadcast on Saturday nights and ran until 1960 for 136 episodes. He had musical guests that, quote, performed their songs, which is usually followed by an interview. I say, quote, perform, because a lot of times it was lip Lip syncing. Um, He also interviewed other celebrities between performances, which would give them a guaranteed sales boost. Uh, because it had a viewership of over 20 million, which is unbelievable. Of course, this is back in the day when there were only three channels, right. but still. It was staged live in New York City, and he notably did a review of the top 10 songs from that week's top 40 uh, and go over all of them and stuff. And um, that started this thing like a trend of using top 10 lists. Apparently, it even inspired like David Letterman to do his top 10. Hell yeah. It was, came from this. So. It had musical acts like Johnny Cash, Sam Cooke, Buddy Holly, the Whoa. Isley Brothers, the Shirelles, Fats Dominoes, and there's so many, Fats Domino rather, there's so many others, I couldn't even get into it. Uh, so he moved Bandstand to Los Angeles in 1964 to cater towards the new group of surf bands. <laughs> 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 
my breasts. Why you grabbing your breasts? I grabbed my breasts. I'm sorry. Well, here, I'm going to make tequila. you ungrab your breasts because I'm specifically referring to the Beach Boys. <laughs> you know when a, an ex-partner has an obsession with a band and he can never listen to yep. the band ever yep, again? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Enter the Beach Boys. Yep. There you go. <laughs> It's dead to me. It's dead to me. So Bandstand ran up until 1988. So yeah, I was six years old when Bandstand stopped, ceased. By 1990, over two-thirds of those initiated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame made their television debut on American Bandstand. Nuts. Which, which featured over 10,000 live performances. Clark said, Damn. My talent is bringing out the best in other talent, organizing people to showcase them and being able to survive the ordeal. What I love is that he also included a lot of people that had never been on television before, and some of the huge artists that he had their first TV appearances on Bandstand was bought. Buddy Holly, James Brown, Stevie Wonder, That's wild. the Jackson uh-huh. Five, and Madonna, which isn't like like their first TV ex- appearance. That's so crazy, it's wild. It's wild. He said, "I hope someday that uh, somebody will say that in the beginning stages of the birth of the music of the '50s, though I didn't contribute in terms of creativity, I helped keep it alive." Hell yeah, dude! Hell yeah, you did. So through Bandstand, he is largely credited with creating a youth culture through that time where none existed. And starting in 1963, Clark got into the game show host biz. He started off with a show called The Object Is, but m- the main one he was known for was The $10,000 Pyramid, which I totally remember that I show. I remember that yeah. show. Oh, yeah. You watched it when you were sick. Yeah. And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. from school. Uh, that was on CBS, and it premiered in 1973. He won three Emmys for Best Game Show Host. Uh, and that show ended also in 1988. You know what I love about Dick Clark is that he never really, he never pretends to be anything that he's not, even though I think that he was almost too humble about how much he had to contribute for not only American music, but as well as television. And he had this quote that I actually really enjoyed. He said, I've always dealt with light, frivolous things that didn't count, but I'm not (laughs) ashamed of that. Because I think I there's it. so much heaviness in our lives. Somebody's got to yeah. be the class clown. Aww. And I really yeah. like, I, I love that he knew his place of what he was doing and was fine with it. Was not only liked it, but embraced it. I would argue that in a way, that type of work can be more important in people's lives. Yes, a thousand percent. And I mean, it's times like, you know, with everything that's happening, we don't never get into politics. And I don't want to start right now, but everything is so rough out there that I like whenever I look at myself, I'm like, well, what do I do to change things? What do I do to be a part of things? And it's things like this, that you have to listen to things that are like, you know what? This just makes me smile. This doesn't make me think of the heaviness of things. And that's what Dick Clark brought to the world. And I, you know, he all was hear, one of the pioneers. All I hear yeah. is that sounds like the devil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The devil's things. Um, before. So this is probably my second most interested uh, moment of doing research was before Dick Clark. Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians was Had the show. Had never heard of it. Yeah, And did never you bring this up to your parents? Uh, no, I should ask them about it. I asked my mom about it, and she goes, oh, my God. I forgot about that. She's like, my parents used to watch, like, my grandparents right. used to watch Guy Lombardo and, the, uh, and his Royal Canadians. He was a big band guy, and for 48 straight years, 48 uh, years. they did the New Year's Eve broadcast. And Guy Lombardo was the band leader, of course, and broadcasted a big band show from the ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. I need to go back and look up actual footage. Oh my God, there is actual footage too. It's I'm nuts. Sure. It is the it is the opposite of New Year's Rock and Eve. Yeah, it's very hoity. It's like old person. It looks like it looks like The Shining. Yeah, it said yeah. It, 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 like it said the show pretty much never changed in the forty eight years. It essentially was lots of elegant people dining and dancing with Lombardo leading the Royal Canadians to play classic waltzes and other danceable songs. Oh, the Richies, huh? It was the Richies. <laughs> yes. And their Richie upper class New Year's Eve. So it started on radio in 1928 and it moved to CBS television from 1956 to 1976. The TV show featured coverage of the Times Square ball drop, but it didn't exactly take place there. And it was known for he was known. Uh, this this is my favorite thing. I, I, I did not know this. He is actually credited in his band for the reason why we sing Auld Lang Syne every year at New Year's. Because he played it. Yeah. 
It was because they would play it. And that's why we do that as like a absolute standard every New Year's Eve now. Oh. And, and so Guy Lombardo is actually referred to for all this time as Mr. New Year's Eve. And he started in the Roosevelt Hotel in 1929, which is he was another beginning of bringing it from. He also helped in bringing a radio broadcast to television. And he was the pioneer that Dick Clark needed to fully change over everything hmm. so guy lombardo was the actual start of that happening yeah and that show ended with his death in yep. 1977 in fact lombardo had even joked that he planned to take the holiday with him when he died <laughs> but he didn't but, but he, he did didn't. take the show with him he didn't but he did take the show which left the doors wide open for a new new year's eve special so Clark, feeling Lombardo's specials were outdated, decided to create a competing special for younger viewers, and New Year's Rockin' Eve was chosen as the title to show said contrast. Uh, the first one featured Three Dog Night, which is why it was called Three Dog Nights New Year's Rockin' Eve. Which I, lo I love. I, it was not only called Three Dog Nights New Year's Rockin' Eve, but also was hosted by George Carlin the Yay. first two years. Which there is also clips of that online that I implore you to look up. Because it is cool to see. It's such a vast difference from what yeah. Lombardo was doing. So you have to think, this started in the end of the year 1972. So there were five years of overlap between Lombardo still doing the end of his show and then Dick Clark not getting that many ratings, not getting that many ratings, and desperately being like, I am going to get the youth to watch this show and pulling out all the stops. And it was every hit person that could be on this show was on the show. And so, the, of course, in the first couple of years, it didn't really have many viewership until Lombardo died. He knew he could never take over Lombardo right. while Lombardo was alive. So he was essentially just setting the stage to take over as which soon is as so smart. Lombardo passed away, which is very smart. That first special had Al Green. It had Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was, you know, it was, and, and by the way, those performances all took place in the ballroom of the Queen Mary, which was a retired British ocean liner in Long Beach, California. Still there. Still there, yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah. you can still go. Oh, really cool. Yeah. So, so Clark did... Uh, while this was happening, Clark is doing live coverage in the style of a reporter in Times Square before and after the ball drop. There was no countdown the first time. He lit it's so funny to watch it. Yes. Have, did you see that? Oh, yeah. He's just like, and it's, they're like, you watch the ball slowly drop, but he's not counting down at all. And then he just goes, it's now 1973. <laughs> As, As of, of now. now. <laughs> <laughs> it was like so underplayed. And it was just him on a ladder joined by just his wife and a camera guy and a sound guy. That was it. And then all these years, there's so many <laughs> interviews of people that are like, I mean, you must get hammered while you're doing this. You got to do this. But actually, Dick Clark was sober his entire life. And so was his wife. Oh, wow. He never drank. And, and especially on New Year's Eve, he what never drank. What was the trick a devil would play? Interesting. Interesting. Also at this same time in 1974, after ABC lost their broadcasting rights to the Grammy Awards, Dick Clark created the American Music Awards for them so that ABC would have ah. their own music awards. Gotcha, which of which Taylor Swift just got named Artist of the Decade. Artist of the Decade. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, show, the show then moves to ABC in 1975 and was then at that point set in Chicago. I believe Chicago the band was like the headliner of that year. Mm -hmm. After Lombardo's death, though, in 1977, CBS was never able to recover with the New Year's Eve show and Dick Clark's rockin' show took over as the most watched special during the holiday. Dick Clark hosted every single year from 1973 to 1999. Then there was like one year where they did something different for the year 2000. In the year 2000, um, no one, not one person hosted New York New Year's Rock and Eve because ABC presented a day-long telecast called ABC 2000 Today that presented coverage of international and U.S. festivities celebrating the arrival of the year 2000. Dick Clark was still the correspondent from Times Square. I remember watching that, but we were all terrified because we all thought we were going to die at midnight. <laughs> yes, everybody thought we were going to die because of Y2K. But did they? They still kept Times Square open. They did. They yes. did the whole thing. I couldn't remember. Yeah, he broadcast from there. There was also Peter Jennings, Diane Sawyer, Barbara Walters uh, involved, among many other broadcasters. They just wanted to make a bigger deal out of the right. holiday. It was like a day-long event because it was, you know, the end of the millennium or whatever. Also, so, I did uh, like, I saw this in a couple places. In, in 1997, Dick Clark went on Oprah Winfrey and two female audience members complimented Clark for being single women's dates on New Year's Eve. And Oprah Winfrey replied, 
You're right. As a single woman, because I remember all my years in Baltimore, that's what you do. You turn dick on to help you through the night. And then everyone <laughs> lost their minds because Oprah's usually much more composed than that. But it's a fucking dick joke. And that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, there were also a bunch of different co-hosts throughout the years. You had cast members from Happy Days and Dukes of Hazard, You and Hanging with Mr. Cooper. I Margaret love Cho. Hanging with Mr. Oh, yeah, Cooper. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Steve Harvey, who would end up going on to host his own New Year's mm-hmm. Eve event. Uh, Stacy Dash and Donald Faison from Clueless, among many others. Also, performances over these decades included, I mean, there's too many to name. I just have a few here. Barry Manilow, Blondie, Kiss, Melissa Etheridge. Why do you Etheridge. say Barry Manilow like he's nothing? I don't understand. Barry Manilow. I love Barry Manilow. <laughs> Salt and Peppa, Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah. <gasps> the President of the United States of America. Oh, my God. I do love Isla, President of the United States Isla, of America. Is that? Oh, the band. That was one of the first concerts I ever went to. <gasps> we should so do that. Good. We should do that as a pop history. Uh, Isaac Hayes, Lou Reed, Joan Osborne, and Naughty by Nature, just to name a few. Clark would also make special guest appearances as his Rock and New Year's uh, persona on Friends, The Simpsons, and Forrest Gump actually has in the scene at the bar. Oh, yeah. It actually has footage of the very first Rock and New Year's Eve that he's hosting from Times Square. But, um, I mean, he did a lot of special guest spots. Futurama. There was a ton of that stuff. Uh, Clark said that he started the day at around 5 in the morning promoting the event on radio. This is like a 24-hour situation, pretty much. He spends hours outdoors in the cold, and he's done it. He's done it sick. He's done it well. He's done it every single fucking year, and except for the one year, but he was still a correspondent. Um, and then it the and the show did return after the year 2000. And expanded into prime time. So they started at 10 p.m. instead of like 11 with additional segments and pre-recorded musical performances. Uh, and then um, he also said of the 2001-2002 celebration, he said that was the most nerve-wracking due to the 9-11 attacks. But they well, still- they had like, I mean, now Damn. that's when all of the security was put in and there was nowhere near as much security before then. And that was, I forgot, it was like 700,000. Like it was, a, the yeah. number was astronomical, the amount of police officers. But and- in 2001, they they- Kept everything open. Yeah, and it was yeah. right wow. after too, wow. which that's yeah. scary. That's fuck. crazy. I would, yeah, I would not have been caught no. dead no. at Times Square. I mean, ever usually and on New Year's Eve, but definitely that yeah, year would have totally. been risky. Terrifying. I guess that would have been the best year to go, though. Yeah, because, because nothing's going to last people. Yeah. Uh, and so in 2004, sadly, Clark was hospitalized after suffering a minor stroke, and Regis Philbin ended up having to stand in for Clark very last minute. Because, this, yeah, the stroke was like two weeks before New Year's, too, and he kept saying, like, I can do it, I can do it, but he couldn't do it. And he did return for the 05-06 festivities, but this is when he is joined by American Idol host Ryan Seacrest. I think it is funny, though, when he is referred to as the... Um the world's oldest teenager that he happened to have found another vampire almost (laughs) that looks like the world's oldest teenager another person that does not age that is like how do you have something against ryan seacrest because if he was in front of me i wouldn't realize it was him you know right. what I mean? Not that I'm saying that in a bad way. It's just he could get away with whatever he wanted to get away with because, like, that one? I don't know. The other the guy is a trick. Short... Yeah. yeah. Mm. The, the greatest, greatest trick. trick. Another devil, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, also, I can't believe it took until the 2005, 2006 festivities for uh, there to have them to have their first actual live performance inside Times Square. And that was done by Mariah Carey. I don't believe this was the infamous one. I think that was later, right? No, the, the later one, yeah. Her, that was just like two years ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was in 2016, but we'll get right? to that. Oh, yeah. So Dick Clark's role was limited. And at one point he during the broadcast, he said, oh, this is so sad. Strokes make me so scared. He said, last year I had a stroke. It left me in bad shape. I had to teach myself how to walk and talk again. It's been a long, hard fight. My speech is not perfect, but I'm getting there. I remember that year, too, because it was very upsetting and very sad. Because, yeah. again, it was a staple that you had grown up with. That it it was almost like, it was like well, what do we do if Dick Clark's not on, on New right. Year's? You know? Right. Uh, and it was after the 2006 edition that Ryan Seacrest agrees to remain host going forward with Clark's role reduced further and further. He just had like little bits right before the countdown, all that kind of stuff. They, they got him in there, but it was like as much as they could, but they couldn't do a lot. And it was in 2009, the special was officially renamed Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve with Ryan Seacrest. 
You also have Jenny McCarthy coming into the fold. Uh, she started what would become a decade of correspondent work for the program in 2010. She would notably kiss a police officer at midnight that she grabbed randomly. And that changed after she got married. So that officer, Bekim Bakaj, she was age 26. And they had actually, I remember seeing this and was like, wow, Jenny McCarthy just grabbed that cop and didn't ask and <laughs> just sucked on his face. But oh, they I'm actually sure had, the staffers went and asked him okay. beforehand if she could, uh, if she could kiss him. And his response was, who wouldn't? And then he said afterwards, she fell into my arms and we had a kiss. I thought it was just going to be a little peck on the cheek, but it was a more lengthy kiss. Wow. The steamy smooch scene round the world appeared to last at least 15 seconds, with McCarthy grabbing the back of Bakaja's cap and kicking up her leg as the ninth precinct cop clutched it. Well, I'm glad they asked him. That's yes, good. they did ask yeah, him, which I think is, is good. good. But I will say, I know she gets a lot. She's, she's kind of gone down in... Um, uh, like, oh God, I can't use my words right now. People don't like her as much anymore because of the vaccine stuff. But I will say that I have J-O'd of course to you her. Have. Yeah, so, obviously. I think you grew up in the nineties. So, yeah. And I, I had, I even had to look it up. I was like, I, t I just googled like Jenny McCarthy's sexy because I hadn't, you know, to take a little walk down J-O memory lane. Oh, and like, yes. <laughs> Remember the years and all this little. There was a montage played in my head of me just. Pulling that hand soap out and, you know, just slowly <laughs> kind of just masturbating as I grew older. Yeah, as you grew older. Ugh. As the seconds ticked on with your, your adulthood. It was, it was a very, like, big mouth style moment for me where I just had, like, a, a hilarious montage. With, like, I remember the days when she posed for Maxim <laughs> and then she posed for Playboy did, I hope you, did you I don't even want to know if he jerked off again to it uh no I didn't oh, okay I didn't. wow that's nice <laughs> no I would have been yeah Good I guess job. I did want to know I guess I did want to yeah know. you can't anymore she's bringing about another plague yeah that's not sexy I couldn't do it I didn't do it for the children mm -hmm. uh so <laughs> let's get sad again um so Yay. Lucy Hale by the way so Jay McCarthy would do would host for a decade Lucy Hale of Pretty Little Lies Myers is taking over for her. Oh yeah, she is. Which again, world I can't wait to watch that. teenager. I feel like it is. They're just picking another person. Like, all right, what other um, young person can we put on that will never ever change through father yeah. time? Who does like? Who would be like in Peter Pan's coven? Yeah, essentially, it's Lucy Hale. So Lucy Hale, Pretty Little Liars. She's the one of the worst actresses I've ever seen uh, on a TV show, and I'm very excited to see how she's going to handle the event this year. It's going to be great. She's affable. Dick Clark's final appearance on the program was in 2011, uh, the 2011-2012 edition. He died after suffering a heart attack in April of 2012. Uh, ABC celebrated him with a two-hour tribute special. New Year's Rockin' Eve celebrates Dick Clark, and that was followed by the 2012-2013 edition of the special. The ball itself was engraved with Dick Clark's name, how I mentioned the little triangle, oh, crystal great. triangles. So they took one of those crystal triangles, they engraved his name in it, they presented it to his widow, and uh, she like licked it or something, and then they put it on the ball. I don't think she licked it, of but- Of course, yeah, yeah, it's a licking stick, I'm sure. Yeah, she, but she did, she did, yeah, they then put it on the ball and it now rests there today. I'd rub it on my, my pussy. Yeah, on your puss, just puss. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm sticky. Just for my, um, for my hug. <laughs> Talk about a devil's trick. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, Seacrest signed after that a multi-year deal of unspecified length with Dick Clark Productions to take over full-time as host moving forward. And I will say that I thought that in doing this research that I was going to find a lot of other years with, like, secret flubs or all this drama. And right. it, it is because Dick Clark not only had run such a tight ship, but also worked with such respect for everyone that was on this show and the fact that they lip-synced for as many years as they had <laughs> that why nothing had gone wrong. So right. it really wasn't until... So I started looking into the flubs, what had happened, because of course we're going to talk about Mariah Carey, but it wasn't into... The first thing that people talk about is was in 2014 when Idina Menzel was there to perform Let It Go from Frozen. And I wrote, and this is very funny, and that wasn't the only thing that was Frozen. <laughs> It was her vocal cords. Her vocal cords were, everyone, everybody knows that everybody knows that yeah. if it's very cold outside, 
it is difficult for your voice, since your vocal cords cannot stretch the way that they should, or something, something science. Some bullshit. You can't hit the notes that you usually would be able to. And that's what happened when Idina Menzel could not hit the top note and let it go. And it was because of the freezing temperatures. Now, apparently, this is according to this Billboard writer, Menzel did hit all the right notes when she rehearsed at soundcheck before the performance. But she, he also said she may not have hit the big note, but she hit all the emotional ones. Young kids in the audience were also joyful singing along with her. And of course, the Internet still ripped her apart. But it was like nine degrees outside. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it just, it happens. On. It's a live performance. And that's also why people lip sync, which is again yeah. what happened with in 2016 with Mariah Carey. So Carey's, this is the first time that there was a screw up. And of course, by the way, we, we, we do tell this tale on our Mariah Carey episodes, which I would also recommend you check out. Yes, because, please. Boy, is she a human? So she doesn't hit the note, as we all know, and she has technical problems. And she immediately stopped performing. And of course, the song kept playing because she was lip syncing. And her the line that she said, I want a holiday too, she improvised while the music played on. Can I not have one? I'm trying to be a good sport here. But... um. <laughs> Oh Unfortunately, her evil, evil manager, Stella Bolochchenikov, who now we all know is evil, but she at the is time, she is terrifying. Evil. She's absolutely she absolute evil. And she blamed the network, saying that they screwed it up on purpose, that they acknowledged that they knew her inner ears were not working, and they did not cut to a commercial. They did not cut to the West Coast feed. They left her out there to get ratings. So that is what the, the publicity for Mariah Carey had put out. So as we all know, she comes back the following year to redeem herself. But this is the infamous when she had asked for tea and she did not receive her tea to make sure that her vocal cords were warm. And she said, Happy New Year, Miss Carrie said, addressing the crowd. Just want to take a sip of tea. If they'll let me, they told me there would be tea. Oh, it's a disaster. Okay, well, we'll just have to rough it. Ah. I'm going to be like everybody else with no hot tea, but we're trying <laughs> to do this one for you. She is just like everybody else. She is yeah. just like everybody else. She is. And the only other flub that I had found was that in 2017, Britney Spears was ripped apart online for lip syncing, even though they knew that people had started to not lip sync as much anymore. But she also was singing Toxic with gum visibly in her mouth the entire I time. Kind of, I kind of love that. <laughs> to really bring it home of like, I am not singing this care. song. Yeah, yeah. That is so funny. I think Britney needs that sometimes because there's so much pressure on her. She has a lot of pressure. Sure. She has a lot of fucking pressure. I know. I really do. I, I've said this before, but I stay away from her on blind items because I feel for her. I she's love been, She's been battered to the edge yeah. of the earth. And if you follow her on social media, it really is like you you see that she had never gone past being 15 years old no, because she, she wasn't was allowed to. No, she was fucking ab abused by all the adults around her. We'll do a pop history on oh. her. We'll paint her in a good light. Yeah, that will be a great pop. History. Oh yeah. Do you have any other moments before we wrap this up? No, I don't. That that's what I said. Like they kept a pretty tight ship. Yeah. And they um did. and I think it makes sense, just like with the Thanksgiving Day parade, keep them lip syncing. We know the songs. Yeah, so who unless cares? they're doing Fuck the it. live performances or the other performances, which you know how now they cut back and forth to other shows that are going on in other places, and those people are actually performing, but also they were pre recorded. Yeah. Well, you're not watching right. those shows to, like, scrutinize. Well, you're not supposed to be. I guess people just love to rip yeah. people apart. But you're watching it just to hear the songs that you know and like in the background when you're dancing around at a party. Yeah, you're talking about over it the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the whole point. Uh, so this year's special will include performances from Alanis Morissette. Ooh. I love that she's having this big return. Yay. I want to go see the Jagged Little Pill musical. She's on yeah, tour. Yeah, And she's on tour right and now, too. And tour with Garbage. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, no, with Garbage Ooh. and Liz Fair. Yeah. I gotta go. Yeah. We gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Post Malone, Paula cool. Abdul, Green Day, Dua Lipa, Megan The Stallion. I love oh, the Jones. Nice. Salt and Peppa, yeah. Cheryl Crow, right. Usher, the Jonas Brothers, and then a ton of acts I've never heard of before because I'm an old. And but also because they've got their ear to the ground, which is what uh, now that I know that this is what. New Year's Rock and Eve or Rock and New Year's Eve? Rock and New Year's Eve? I've been saying it wrong. New Year's saying, Rock and Eve. New Year's Rock and Eve. Now that I know that this is what they are attempting to do, and I never realized that, that it was just like, it's like, what are we all listening to this year? I thought it was just right. whoever they could get. And right. now it makes so much more sense. 
So I, I now I want to. Now I'm actually going to pay attention to it this year. Yeah, why not? And performances will happen from Hollywood, Miami, New Orleans, and Times Square. And I mentioned already the Powerball thing. Powerball's involved, and they're doing a promotion to claim the first millionaire of 2020. So buy those tickets, y'all. You gotta do it, or don't. <laughs> and also, speaking of buying tickets, this is our last reminder before this new year that we are, will be on tour, hopefully in your town. Yes. The Pop History crew, me, Holden, mm-hmm. and, and Natalie, mm-hmm. will be in Pontiac, in Milwaukee, in Chicago. Yes, the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, and Chicago, Pontiac, and Milwaukee, in that order. Please join us. We hope you will be there. Check out tickets. It's uh, t- You can find tickets at uh, Last Podcast Network forward slash P7 Live. We love you guys so much. I hope you guys had a great New Year's Eve. Welcome to 2020 because that vision is perfect, baby. Don't worry. Hell I'm yeah. going to keep making those jokes and it's not funny. No one cares about 2020 vision jokes and I'll never stop. What about the show 2020? Can sure. I will make jokes. I don't know if that's a yeah. jokey show, but I'll make jokes. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm powerful. I'm a powerful woman. We love you guys. <laughs> Happy New Year. Have a good one. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Bye. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.